this is my plane crash. God was saying to me, Jerry, I finally got your attention. <laughs> it took 30 years in a plane crash where people around you died, but I finally got your attention. And now that I do, I heard from him, I want to tell you about my son. And most importantly, I want you to spend the rest of your life telling other people about my son. That was the moment it really hit me. All right, maybe that's why I went through that plane crash. So I can share this story like I'm doing with you right now. Share the story, have an impact on somebody, especially for eternity. I think that that was God's communication to me. And again, it hit later than a year after the crash. But when it did, it, uh, it hit very hard for me. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. For this episode of Along the Way, I'm joined by Jerry Schemmel. And yes, you heard that right. He survived an airplane crash. It was truly a miracle that he survived at all, let alone that he rescued a baby from the wreckage. You'll hear him share his Along the Way story in this episode. If you feel like your life is crashing and burning and you need some purpose, then you are going to enjoy this episode. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you'll subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in my show notes, and you can check out all of my episodes at my new website, alongtheway.media. I would love to hear from you. I've also started a Patreon page for people who want to help me continue to put out these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash along the way and select a level that you'd like to support this show at. The link to become a Patreon supporter is in my show notes as well. This episode is sponsored by Crave Frozen Desserts, which is by far my favorite ice cream. And this week I recommend his Banana Oreo, which is a wonderful twist on your classic cookies and cream, but with banana ice cream. It's amazing. You've got to try it. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, then you are in luck. Crave Frozen Desserts is open from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, and they are located at 751 Pittsburgh McKeesport Boulevard, Travosburg, PA, 15034. I'll put a link to their Facebook page in the show notes and tell them that you heard them from Along the Way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network, you can find tons of spirit-filled content from their over 100 podcasts. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes. I'm also doing a Monday through Friday news story for the Charisma News Podcast of the Charisma Podcast Network. There are new episodes of Charisma News Monday through Friday. And now, here's my along-the-way conversation with Jerry Shevel. Jerry Schemmel, it's good to have you on Along the Way. Thanks so much for allowing me to interrupt your moving uh, <laughs> to see that you're, you're moving from one house to another. You know, this is kind of an interesting time that we're in right now with the coronavirus. Everybody's kind of stuck in their houses, but you're moving from one house to another. What was going on in your mind as, as, uh, as all this is happening with you? Yeah. Well, first of all, John, my timing has never been great. So to move <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic is just typical for me. I lost my job doing the Rockies in January, decided to move, and we had been talking about doing it anyway. And uh, so we decided to put our house in the market. And then this whole pandemic thing hit. I mean, I had, when I lost a job in the middle of January, uh, we hadn't even heard about coronavirus other than a little bit from China. And it just grew and grew, as we all know. And now we're here in the middle of it. 
And uh, our realtor said, hey, keep going. <laughs> if somebody <laughs> wants to buy your house, they stayed in the deal. We found another place we wanted, so it all worked. Uh, this is crazy, John. How about this? You, I might be the first person you know that bought a house without looking inside it. We did that. The, oh, the wow. rules were you couldn't get inside a house to see it, so we did it by the pictures, and, and it turned out fine. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. Well, Jerry, we met uh, about two years ago, I think, whenever you were a guest on the Real Life program. And as you mentioned, you were the voice of the Colorado Rockies, the baseball team, and you have a great history in uh, broadcasting. But you weren't on the Real Life program with me to talk about broadcasting. You were talking about something else that you have done, the race across America. And I was blown away by the movie that you put together about your journey with that. And kind of as a way to talk about your story, uh, let's kind of start there. How did you get into biking and how did you uh, decide that that's something that you re really wanted to attack going yeah. up the whole way across the country? Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're going to get to this too, John, uh, eventually, but I survived a plane crash in, in 1989. And you know, I needed something physical to kind of grab onto. I thought it was part of my recovery and therapy. And, and it was, uh, you know, running was great, but I really enjoyed cycling. I'd been a triathlete early in my life and really enjoyed the discipline of, of cycling. So I got back on a bike and it just felt good, just felt therapeutic and healthy. And, and so I started riding and doing some races. And I had this idea to, to ride across America, not race, but ride for charity. And I did that. I, I took pledges for every mile that I rode, did that twice. And then I always had in the back of my mind this race across America that I heard about called Ram. And I thought, man, that's really hard. 3,000 miles, and you got to do it if you're a solo racer in 12 days or less. That, you know, that's 250 miles a day. It's really hard. Let me do it as a, as a relay member first. So in 2015, what you're alluding to, uh, I did it with a partner, a race across America, two-man relay team, which we won. And we did it in seven days. We averaged over 400 miles a day. And it was extremely challenging, but at the same time, extremely rewarding. So is this like a, a race kind of like – when you think of bicycle racing in general, I'm thinking like the Tour de France, where there's a whole bunch of riders that are going on this crazy course all at the same time, though. Is that what you dealt with, too? Like, there's a definite starting time and an end time? Absolutely uh, not. <laughs> uh, st there's a stage. The, the, they call the Tour de France stage races. So you race one day, 100 miles, whatever it is, and then you stop, and you stay in a hotel, and you go on the next course. In our case, it was you take off, and the clock is running. The clock never stops until you finish in Annapolis, Maryland. So it, it was pretty crazy, even with the relay teams that spread out really quickly. So mm. some of the teams got out, you know, a day ahead of the other teams after a day or two into the race. So now the clock just keeps on going. And if you're going to sleep, you're going to waste time. So we didn't sleep. So it was uh, much different from the Tour de France. And I think to, two times longer than Tour de France uh, together at the end anyway. Wow. So... How many times have you done that? Have you biked across the country now? I've done it three times, uh, twice just on my own, just raising money. And then the third time was the race. And I shouldn't say I, I rode across, I raced across the country. I only did half the miles. I had a partner, so okay. I did 15, I did 1500 and he did 1500. Yeah. That's, that's not uh, something to shake a stick at though. That's, yeah. that's pretty incredible. Your partner and you doing that. That's amazing. So I like to start these conversations with your life story, you know, your journey to where you are now. And you made mention that you had a plane crash along your way, but where did God come into your life? How did you meet the Lord and how have you grown with him? Yeah, it, it all arose from that, that plane crash, John. Uh, I was a, as, far, as far from a spiritual person as you could uh, imagine at age 29. I really had 
no foundation whatsoever. Went to church once in a while with my wife, but that really was it. I, I didn't know who Jesus was. I, 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 thought, I thought Christianity and religion was for weak people. And I had this plane crash, and I, and I never saw any of this coming. I, I didn't see the, the psychological and emotional struggle coming after the crash, which everybody goes through when they, they go through something catastrophic like that. And it's really wrestled with it. And there came to a point about a year after the crash where I really hit black bottom. I yeah. unemployed, my marriage is falling apart and I'm in depression and, you know, walling in self-pity and all that. And I thought, what have I got to lose? Because I can't do this on my own anymore. I'd always been able to pick myself up when I got knocked down. Now I couldn't do it, John. And I just, I, I just decided to surrender, I guess. I, I sat in a chair one day, a uh, year after crash and thought, you know what, God, would you please come into my life because I can't recover by myself. I just knew it wasn't going to happen alone. And when I said that, something came over me. It wasn't a physical feeling. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was this overwhelming feeling of contentment that said, uh, because of what I had done, and especially the ally invited in my life, that eventually I was going to win every single battle. Mm. And, a, and a couple of weeks later, I, I decided to, to make a, the greatest decision I ever made. That was to accept Christ as my Savior. So it took a plane crash. It took 30 years in a plane crash to get me to that point. But that's where I'm at now. Wow. So when you say plane crash, most people don't think that there could be any survivors uh, at all. And I've heard of people that have, you know, survived a plane crash where, you know, maybe the, the plane just had a flat tire or something like that. And it's not what you would think of as a plane crash, but you had more of the dramatic plane crash experience. How did you survive that? That's a great question. That's one I've been trying to answer, uh, John, for almost 31 years. When you add it up physically, mechanically, scientifically, it really doesn't add up because when a jumbo jet that we were in, a DC-10, loses hydraulics. You're not supposed to be able to fly the plane. But somehow this cockpit crew miraculously got us to Sioux City, Iowa after 45 minutes, and there were 300 people on board. And they tried to simulate these conditions in a simulator, and every single time the plane crashes without any survivors. So to answer your question, I don't know other than to mm-hmm. tell you it was, a, it was a miracle. When you see the videotape of the crash, you wonder how anybody could have survived, let alone almost two-thirds of us. So I chalk it up as God's work, caught his hand on that plane for sure. And you actually got out of the plane, but then went back in to rescue somebody, correct? Yeah, yeah. I got outside the plane and I heard a baby crying and just jumped back in. I didn't think about it. I didn't weigh any of the risks. It just it just sort of happened and didn't have to go very far back in the plane and grab the little baby. She was 11 months old at the time and just uh, shot out the plane the second time. Wow. And was the baby able to reunite with uh, their mother? Yeah, crazy. Uh, they were all sitting. There was a family of five, uh, the baby and then two older brothers who were five and seven, I think. And the parents, family of five, all survived the crash Oh wow! Uh, without, and none without any serious injuries. And they're sitting right behind first class. They're in row 11. I think first class goes through nine rows and almost everybody in first class got wiped out. They all died. So mm. this family of five survives just two rows away from where everybody died. Wow. Wow. And where were you on the plane? There are 30... Seven rows, I think, in a DC-10. I'm in row 23, and I'm okay. in the middle, so I'm about halfway back. And now, if you have a DC-10 configuration, but there's five seats in the middle, and then there's two aisles, one on each side, and then two on the outside. So I'm in the middle of that five-seat section. Wow! So you got out and then heard a baby crying somehow uh, through all the. I'm sure there's still a lot of noise and chaos going on, but you heard this voice, or you heard this cry. That just kind of reminds me of how God 
hears us crying out to him mm. and he's so faithful to come and rescue us whenever we do call out to him. Mm, yeah. And, uh, it, it took you a little bit of time before you made that cry out to the Lord, but I'm so glad that you did. Yeah. So how did you end up in broadcasting? I got a degree in journalism, broadcast journalism, and I came out of college and could not find a job. I wanted to do play-by-play. I wanted to do games, and and those jobs are really hard. They're scarce. They're hard to get and keep, and so I couldn't find that job, and so plan B for me was to go to law school. So I went to law school, got a law degree, and while I'm in law school, of course, I find a part-time broadcasting job, so <laughs> I did both for a while, and and then I, I did high school games part-time while I was practicing law, and then I did minor league basketball. Got a big break in 1990 when I started with the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were looking for somebody who could do TV and radio, and I had done minor league basketball, and they needed somebody right away. So I, I got a big break there. I did two years there, and then 18 with the Denver Nuggets, and then 10 with Major League Baseball with the Rockies. So very, very fortunate. You know, a 30-year career, 20 in, in the NBA and 10 in Major League Baseball is Gosh, you know this. You can appreciate it, John. That's every young guy's dream. I mean, every young broadcaster, that's like, man, how can you ask for more than that? Just totally blessed. Yeah, there's something about listening to a baseball game on the radio that is so heartwarming and nostalgic. I mean, you might not see what's happening in the game, but the voices that you're listening to really become near and dear to your heart, like like a dear friend. No question. Because you're sharing all these amazing stories that you've experienced throughout the years and just the color commentary and things like that. It's just, it's just like, like you're listening to two great friends just talking about uh, life, and then there's a baseball game that seems to be <laughs> happening. Isn't baseball just made for radio? It, it absolutely meant, is. They, yeah. they are meant for each other. And, you know, it's a great point. People think you just get on there and do play by play. That's you can do that in basketball and get away with it, but not in baseball. And I used to listen to, to Vin Scully a lot, John. And I, I actually charted what he was saying once in a while. A third of what he said was play by play. Two thirds was stories. Mm. And that's and that's baseball. You know, that's what it's all about. You you bring the listener in and you identify players with listeners and listeners with players and you just try to tell their stories. And that's so, so important about telling people's stories and because we all have them and sometimes you got to pull them out of people, uh, which is one of the things that I love doing and working as a TV producer, helping people tell their stories. And now with this podcast, I like to just listen to people's stories and kind of see where God was walking with them along their way. And asking questions, and what have you learned in that path? Where did you first realize that being a broadcaster was part of the purpose that God had for your life? You know, I, I think it was probably later on after I became a Christian that I really realized that what a great platform I had. I think when I really started thinking about broadcasting was my junior year in college when I was I played baseball in college, and every every baseball player's dream is to make the major leagues. And I realized I wasn't good enough. And I thought, well, that'd be the next best thing to being a player, be a broadcaster. That'd really be fun. So that's kind of when I think I just kind of got the appetite for it as like a 19 or 20 year old. But I think really realized that it was God's work after the plane crash and, and then into broadcasting into the NBA. And I found out it's just such a great platform. It, it's, it can be difficult to share your faith and to have an impact on people in this business, as you well know, but it's also a great platform. There are many, many opportunities to, to just keep going and you know, share and live God's destiny. Yeah. What's your favorite part of being in broadcasting? I think it's uh, like a lot of things, the relationships, especially in baseball. You see the same people every day for 162 days and you just become really close to them and you share a lot of stuff, it seems. And 
People share a lot of stuff with you when you see them every day. I mean, during the season, other than sleeping with her, I I never saw my wife as much as I saw my broadcast partner. So mm-hmm. you just get really close to people. And then when you do that, you have a trust that you can have this relationship with and have an impact on somebody. My broadcast partner with the Rockies, Jack Horgan, I thought was a different guy from the time I started working until the time that I stopped working with him, which was 10 years he just seemed to change a little bit, became more humble. And mm. maybe that was God's reason for me being in that booth with him or, or one of them. So uh, once I realized that it's a great platform, I really started enjoying it more as well. Yeah. What are some opportunities that you've really enjoyed that have opened up because of being in broadcasting? Yeah, I think the biggest one was I, I led the Bible study for the Rockies players and coaches on the road. Uh, once a road trip, we would meet for a Bible study, and I was uh, flattered to be asked to do that and I did the same thing in spring training. I think that was probably the most enjoyable for me was to have a bunch of guys trust me to lead them in a Bible study. I'm not a preacher. I don't have a theology degree. I just I love the Word, and I love the Lord, and and uh, I tried to tried to teach as best I could for from guys who were anywhere from 21 years of age to, to 75. Some of these coaches are older guys. So uh, that was just a great, wonderful, enjoyable opportunity for me. Yeah. So how has your faith helped you get through difficult times? Probably the most difficult time in your life happened before you came mm-hmm. to faith. So how have you dealt with some of the biggest challenges in your life since coming to Christ? Yeah. It goes back to this for me. Bottom line for me, John, is this. I realized that when I became a Christian, God is in control. He has a plan worked out for you. He has this, as as a lot of people like to say. And when you have that knowledge and you have that promise from God, it just sort of makes things easier. Is it something that allows you to avoid trouble? Absolutely not. You're going to have that. You're going to have plane crashes. John, you have a plane crash. I don't know what your plane crash is, but you have. Everybody has their own plane crash. Might not be as bad as I went through. It might be worse than I went through. I don't know. But like you said at the outset of this podcast, everybody's got a story. And I realize that. And I think when when you realize that everybody has a story means that God has a plan for everybody, it takes the fear away, for me mm-hmm. anyway. And it just sort of helps me get through the troubling times. That's good. Taking that fear away, I know in our world today, you know, we're— I hope that people years from now listen to this podcast again and if they're encouraged by this. But right now we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And to me, fear seems to be a bigger issue than the virus itself. And overcoming fear by the, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, I think is really important. Sharing those testimonies, sharing those stories of God's goodness is really, really important. Do you remember the first thing that, that you realized that God was saying to you? Mm. I think it was, yeah, uh, about, as I described earlier, a year after the plane crash, and I surrendered to him and, and gave my life to his son. And, I, and, and it hit me a little while later, John, that this was what God was saying to me. And I, I realized it later, not at the moment, but I realized it later. This is my plane crash. God was saying to me, Jerry, I finally got your attention. <laughs> it took 30 years in a plane crash where people around you died, but I finally got your attention. And now that I do, I heard from him, I want to tell you about my son. And most importantly, I want you to spend the rest of your life telling other people about my son. That was the moment it really hit me. All right, maybe that's why I went through that plane crash. So I can share this story like I'm doing with you right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Share the story, have an impact on somebody, especially for eternity. I think that that was God's 
uh, communication to me. And again, it hit later than a year after the crash, but when it did, it, it, uh, it hit very hard for me. You know, as we're going through life, we can look back and see some of those things. And we all face detours in life. And you just talked about fear and overcoming fear. But, you know, there's, there's decisions that we make and obstacles that we have to overcome. What are some obstacles that you've overcome? And what advice would you give to help others get over those same ones? Yeah, there, there's a couple of them. Obviously, the plane crash is at the top of that list. But uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer about six months ago. And just going through that with her was a really difficult time. So my advice to, to somebody, family member is going through something similar to cancer is just be there for them. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to find the right words, but just be there and make sure that they know that you're there for them, that you'll do anything that, that they want you to do. I think that's that's one thing I've learned. Um, you know, lost a job with the Rockies, which was a dream job for me in January, and I sulked for a couple of days. And I realized, you know what? God's got another path for me. And whatever it is, it's really going to be exciting. And I can't wait to find out what that is. And about the time I, I thought I had that figured out, coronavirus hit, and put, <laughs> yeah. put the brakes on everything. And I, and I think as well, John, I've gotten through all the stuff that I've gone through and starting with the plane crash perspective. And mm. it, it has really helped me through this coronavirus pandemic. And the way I look at it is this, and maybe this can be some advice to somebody. We're dealing with the life or death situation. I understand that. it's uh, Coronavirus is very serious. People are dying yeah. every single day. But let's keep in mind that 1,200 people a day die from a lack of clean water. 18,000 people around the world die every single day from starvation. I mean, and more people are dying from cancer every day than they are from the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it bad? Is it life or death? Yes, absolutely is. But let's, let's keep in perspective that there are other dangers in the world too, that we, we can't forget about. And, 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 and I say that because a friend of mine is a, uh, works for a, a group called water mission mm. and uh, they're doing clean water projects around the world, right in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. And they're on the front lines and, and it just, he told me the other day that uh, about 1200 people die every day of lack of clean water. I thought, wow, that's, that's a coronavirus. Let's keep that in perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, perspective is really important. And keeping God's perspective on things and not being so so selfish and centered on ourselves and our situations. I've often heard people say, you know, if you're dealing with depression, go volunteer, go help somebody else. Yeah. And that's a way that, that we can kind of help ourselves to get out of that. But you've actually started a podcast and a radio show called Amazing Americans. Tell me about that show because I love hearing other people tell people's stories. So it's uh, it's been really fun. It's an hour long interview, radio show, interview based, and I interview from the sports world people with these amazing, inspirational, motivational stories. And uh, the guy that I, I referenced, Scott Linebrink, his story is major league baseball pitcher who had a great career, made a lot of money, saved a lot of money. And then uh, was going to retire and play golf and spend time with his family, take up a hobby, whatever. And he went to Haiti and he saw the devastation, saw how people were living and decided, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to go on the front lines. And he's working for this water mission. They do clean water projects. So the second or third, I guess, interview I have is Sean Swarner, who's the first cancer patient to climb Mount Everest. Wow. He had cancer as a teenager. They took a long out. Uh, doctors told him he was, it was physiologically impossible for a man with one lung to climb Mount Everest. And he didn't listen to him. And he climbed <laughs> Mount Everest. And uh, Dave Dravecki, you might know his mm -hmm. story. The pitcher lost his left arm. He's going to be a guest. There's a woman who lives right outside of Denver here where I live who swam the English Channel not once but four consecutive times. 
130 miles, oh my 54 gosh. hours straight in the water. It's a world record. So people like that with these crazy inspirational, motivational stories that you just shake your head going, there is no way somebody could do that. And these people tell that story. It's, it's really uplifting. What are some of the things that have been the most impactful for you that you've learned through these conversations? You know what? I think it's that everybody has that moment in their life where they have to say yes or no. Hmm. That one moment where things can tilt one way or the other. And, and you know, Dave Derecki's story is that way. And Scott and Sean Swanner, you know, you could have listened to doctors and, and who told him you, you shouldn't even try Mount Everest, but he decided, no, I'm going to try that. Everybody has, it seems like, a moment where they have to make this big decision whether to go one way or the other. And that's what the common denominator is, that everybody's got, like I said earlier, and we talked about, everybody's got this story. Mm-hmm. they got a couple people who are born without limbs, and there's a, uh, a woman who was born with no arms, the only licensed pilot in the world. She flies a plane with her feet. She puts one on the yoke and one on the pedals and flies a plane. And check this out, John. I asked her, I said, if you could magically grow arms, healthy, strength, strong arms, would you do that? And she said, no. She said, I, I have been able to touch so many people hmm. born without arms that I would not take that gift. Crazy stories like that. Wow. I don't know if I could have that same response, but I hope yeah. that I would be grateful for my situation and what God's brought me yeah. through. I pray that I wouldn't take the easy way out if I could. Well, hey, on, on the other side, I can tell you too, I had an interview with the first blind man to climb Mount Everest. And he's done all these other things. He's floated the, the, the Colorado River and through the Grand Canyon with another blind person, two blind people in a raft. For, Talk about the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly right. And I asked him, I said, because he went blind at age 15. And I said, hey, if you could suddenly get your sight back, would you take that gift? He said, yes. I've never seen what my daughter looks like. I want to see her. And I want, yes, I want my eyes back. So not everybody reacts the way that this woman did. Some people will take the, what you said like an easy way out, but yeah. maybe the right way out too. Yeah, I mean, at different strokes for different folks, but that is really interesting. Yeah, I, the, the thought of being blind and not being able to see your loved ones would yeah. never have been able to see your loved ones. Wow, yeah. that's remarkable. Well, that actually yeah. kind of leads into one of my questions that I love asking. If you could go back into your past, and talk to a younger version of Jerry, what advice would you give yourself and what's happening in your life that you would want to speak Mm. into your life at that time? Mm. That's an easy one for me, John. It would be uh, to speak to the younger Jerry would be, you know what, don't be so bullheaded. People told you about Jesus your whole life and you never listened to him. Then it took a plane crash Mm -hmm. to to get your attention and, and to make that decision. My advice to me as a younger guy before this plane crash would have been, you know what, let's listen to the truth. And the truth is that, that God sent his son to die for our sins. And if you accept that, if you believe in him, you'll have your sins forgiven and your spot in heaven secured. And you don't have to go through a plane crash to get there. But when I answer that question, and I've been asked it before, I answer, I was so bullheaded. Mm-hmm. I was so stubborn. I probably wouldn't have listened to me even now at age 60. So that would be my advice to me would be, you know what, L- let's listen. Let's listen to people who are telling you what the truth is. Yeah. That's good. You answered my follow-up question, which would have you listened is normally my follow-up question. <laughs> so thank you for saving me that. But yeah, sure. the, the theme for this podcast is, is based around the Emmaus Road conversation of how the disciples were walking with Jesus, but didn't realize that it was him. So far, we've talked a lot about your life, and you've had a lot of experiences like that, the plane crash being probably the biggest of those. As you look back, do you see any other things that you could bring up where 
Jesus was walking with you, but you didn't realize it at that moment. I had someone tell me the other day, John, it, it's appropriate that you ask this question. And I was talking about the 29 years before in my life before I became a Christian. I thought, you know, I just feel like they're wasted. I just wasted half my life almost. And, and this person said, no, God doesn't waste anything. He was walking with you for 29 years. You just didn't know he was there. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're getting at, too, is the disciples were walking with Jesus, didn't know, who he, didn't know that who he was or who was with them. And that's the way I felt about my time before becoming a Christian. It wasn't wasted. None of this time is ever wasted because it was always used by God, no matter what I went through, whether it was listening to him or not, knowing he was there or not knowing it. He didn't waste any of that. He used those 29 years to make me the person I am today. So, man, I can identify with those disciples. But at the same time, I think they will tell you as well, uh, if you get to heaven and talk to them, that that time wasn't wasted either. Yeah, they still learned along the way, even though they didn't realize who their teacher was. Absolutely. Good point. Do you have a life verse that is something that you just kind of anchor to and hold on to? In the storms of life. Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier, John. Uh, there's an old African adage that says, if you want to lighten your burden, carry someone else's. And that's what you're talking about. If you're in depression, hey, go volunteer, go help somebody. It's the best thing you can do. I think between that and, and physical exercise, now that's me, I'm a fitness junkie, but I think those two are, are really, really important. But the number one is, you know what? There are people that are suffering just like you are. And my wife says this too. If you put everybody's problems, you wrote them all down, put them in a hat, you would rather take your own than pick someone else's. There's a good chance that you wouldn't want to pick out of that hat. Mm-hmm. You'd keep your own. So let's keep in mind that other people are going through things as well. Everybody's got their story, and it's not all about you. Yeah. Do you have any Bible verses, though, that you, uh, that you look back to? Yeah, I love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And this goes back for me for personal history, and I could set that up. But Yeah, please. Yeah, John, for, for 10 months after the plane crash, I kept asking myself over and over every single day, if I had died in that crash— like everybody around me, guy on my left died, the woman across the aisle from me died, little boy in front of me died, and the guy behind. I'm surrounded by people who died in the crash. I'm in this middle of the circle of people, and I came out without serious injuries. And my question was, for 10 months, if I had died in that crash, like all these other people, where would I be today? And my answer for 10 months was, I'd be in heaven for this reason. I had been a really good person in my life. I had done things for the most part with honesty and integrity, and I was true to my wife, and I, gave, I didn't make a lot of money, but I gave some away, and I worked with handicapped kids, and I had impressed God so much with the works I had done in my life that he couldn't help but help me, let me live in his house. I had earned my way into heaven. I had impressed God so much. Yeah, you're here. I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and, and I got turned around. <laughs> for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, but a gift from God, and not by works lest no man boast. I, I thought I had earned my way into heaven. When God says there is no way you can ever do that, you can't earn your way into heaven. It comes through faith and not through works. I've hung on to that verse for the last 31 years, and I, I think I'd probably say that or read it every single day. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I think we try so hard to be accepted by God, but He's already accepted us. And I love that it's, you know, by grace we, we have been saved through faith and not of works. God doesn't want us to boast in that. He wants us to boast in our weakness so that Christ gets the glory, so that we know that it's nothing that we can do. Amen. That's so good. Jerry, do you have any books that you would recommend? Yeah, besides my own? No, I'm just joking. Uh, No. You know, I just read so many different things. I think 
if I was give advice on a book, I would just say, stay in the Word, stay in the Bible. And it, I try to make that the second thing I do every morning. First thing is to lay in bed and pray before I get out. And secondly is to not even look at my email or my, my phone until I read that Bible. And uh, everything else seems to fall into place when I do that. So I got a long list of books. But if I was to give advice for somebody to, to read one, it would be that Bible. And, you, and the great thing about it is you can read it every single day. It never gets old. That's so true. Now, Jerry, as a as a broadcaster, as somebody that has been in this in this industry for a while, and you know, I'm a producer. I don't normally get to do these interviews outside of my own podcast. I like interviewing people off the camera and doing this kind of thing. But how do you prepare for a baseball game when you don't know what's going to happen and you still need to prepare stories? How do you what advice would you give me as a as a broadcaster? I think my first piece of advice would be you can never prepare enough. Yeah. I take that back. You can and burn yourself out. But you know what I'm saying is that you want to have as much information as you can possibly gather without overdoing things. And then you're not going to use it all, but it's there. So you want to have the preparation. You want to have the information. And the key is to know how to get it quickly. In a baseball game, hey, if someone – does something and you think, you know what, I think he did that, you know, a year ago, last September, or he had a grand slam on this very date. You got to know when that is, or at least you got to know how to find that quickly and add it to the broadcast. So um, preparation is key and access to your own preparation is really key. And the bigger thing for me is just to be open-minded. You never know what's going to ha- happen at a baseball game. I, I tell people this all the time. You can go to a baseball game and see something. There's a very good chance you're going to see something you haven't seen in a long, long time, or you've never seen it all. That's the great thing about baseball. Basketball, you're going to, it's pretty predictable. Uh, but baseball is so different. You got to be ready for anything and you got to be prepared and be, and be the best you can at describing that action of being the eyes of the listener. Hmm. That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm always trying to get better. I'm reading books about doing interviews and, and things like that, but I'm amazed at guys that have been doing this for as many years as you have, and you're just able to talk and tell stories mm-hmm. at a moment's notice. I, I hope one day I can I can be like you with that. <laughs> Thanks. So I do want to talk about kind of what's next for you. You know, I know things are kind of uncertain in our world today, but you did have some good news that I saw that you posted on Facebook recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to work for an all-sports radio station here in Denver. It's not games, not play-by-play, which is really my passion, and it's very part-time. But, John, it feels good to be working again. It feels good to be back in the saddle and just being back in the business and, and being able to talk sports. And uh, It's a radio station that's uh, very strong. They're not laying anybody off through this whole thing, which most media companies are, and their ratings are outstanding. They're one of the most successful sports, all-sports radio stations in America, hmm. and without a team. They don't have... They don't carry the, the Nuggets or the, or the Rockies or Broncos or the Avalanche. So um, to do that without an anchor with a sports team is really phenomenal. So just a bunch of good guys. I'll be filling in. And then I, I've got my radio show, as we talked about, Amazing Americans running on the weekend. So it's a start. It's not what I'd hoped what I would be doing right now, but it certainly feels good. Yeah. You know, even though there's detours in our path, we know that the Lord's walking with us along our way. Jerry, You've talked a a good bit about some of those crazy things that have happened in your life and how God has brought you through that. I'm going to ask you right now if you wouldn't mind just speaking to a listener who is feeling like there's an insurmountable plane crash that they're experiencing in their life. 
could you just speak to them and give them a word of encouragement and even pray for them? Yeah, absolutely. I would, first of all, uh, John, just say that as long as there's life, there's hope. And I say that a lot because there are people who have come, I've got friends, you have them too, that have committed suicide and, and, and we're going to, we're going to see that spike. I know we are going to see some of that now with this pandemic going on, but um, there's always, there's always a chance that things get better. And I think when you have this trust in God, when he says all things happen for the good to those who love him, we have to believe that promise. It doesn't mean that the cancer is going to go away. It doesn't mean this pandemic is going to end tomorrow and somebody's going to find a vaccine. That's not the promise. The promise is that we're going to have trouble, but the promise is God will walk through us in that trouble and hold our hand. We don't even know he's there like we talked about earlier. That's the advice I would give to people is hang in there. It might not get better, but man, God is there with you. So my prayer to, to folks like that, and, and I get contacted by a lot of them, and, and I have a long list is, you know what, hang in there as best you can, um, because God is there with you. He might not take the storm away, but he's going to walk through that storm with you. Yeah. Would you pray for that person? Yeah, absolutely. Father God, for that person out there who's, who's feeling this and you know, God, I've gone through this myself, and I wrestled with this mightily and still do at times, that you just give them peace. It may not be your will, God, for this person who is hit by this, that you remove this storm in their life. But my prayer is that you will give them peace, give them love, give them comfort, come alongside them, hug them, and most importantly, allow that person, God, that we're praying for today to feel that, to feel your love, that to, that to know that you're walking with them, you're, you're beside them, you're cheering them on, you're, you're wanting them to, to get to the finish line, Father. Just let them be aware of that grace, of that love. And we ask you that whoever might be in this need today, that you will hit them with that. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Jerry. I appreciate yeah. that. Now, if somebody wants to find out more about you and about your Amazing Americans show, how can they do that? Uh, we got a website. It's amazingamericans.org. We've got archived interviews there. We've got our upcoming guests. We've got some information about the station. So, yeah, you can go listen. Uh, 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 several shows are on there already. So, yeah, amazingamericans.org is probably the best source. Very cool. And I'll be putting a link for that in the show notes as well. So just click the link and uh, it'll take you right to Jerry's show. Jerry, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. You bet. It was, it was great spending time with you. Good to see you again, John. From surviving a plane crash and being a hero, to racing on a bicycle across the United States, to being the voice of the Colorado Rockies, but really being a voice for Jesus, Jerry Schemmel is truly an amazing American. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with him and that you take away that your life can be salvaged no matter how bad the wreck. God still has a purpose for you. I'll be providing links to Jerry's webpage and his Amazing Americans radio and podcast in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this episode with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover along the way. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you might be listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. 
I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey, and may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.